Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. Today, we are going to discuss episode 66 of Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. As for every episode, we first do an episode recap and then discuss the historical significance of any interesting items raised in the episode. If you have any questions or comments, email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at chasingdramas. In this episode, there are two main threads as we head into the endgame. On the one hand, Jin Huan's sister is getting unwanted attention from the emperor, so they need to deal with that. And on the other, Jin Huan's enemies are imploding. Overall, Jin Huan's life is moving towards the right direction, so let's see how things play out. The episode starts with the emperor chatting with Jin Huan and her youngest sister, Yu Zhao, at Jin Huan's residence. They're discussing the funeral activities for Jin Huan's best friend, Shen Meizhuang, who died giving birth to her daughter. As they're discussing how terrible Qi Guiran was for instigating the drama that caused her death, the emperor turns to Yu Zhao and starts discussing her name. He thinks her name doesn't match with her rather resolute temperament. He suggests the word Wan instead. We'll talk about the significance of the poem he recites, but this suggestion immediately sets off alarm bells for Jin Huan and Yu Zhao. He initially says this word is better for Yu Zhao because it's praising beauties, but the word comes from a poem that is referencing a wife who died. Both Yu Zhao and Jin Huan immediately pounce on the word, and it's actually quite funny. Yu Zhao doesn't like the word because the word comes from a poem about someone who died, whereas she is still alive, and Jin Huan says the poem is about a late wife. Does the emperor have the expectation of making Yu Zhao his wife? Ding, ding, ding. It looks like we have a winner. You have to commend Jin Huan for being so quick to pick up on the emperor's real motives. She can tell exactly what the emperor is thinking at this point. The emperor, with his beady eyes, doesn't outright deny it. Instead, he waffles about how there are clear rules between wife and concubine. He has a wife, the empress, and has no inclination of changing that, but... And before he can say anything further, Jin Huan cuts him off and basically chastises him for expecting that all her sisters should become concubines instead of wives. As we've discussed before, and a clear theme throughout this drama and this time period, the title of wife, or qizi, is the highest that a woman can achieve in this society. And therefore, it is the most preferred. The emperor recognizes that this was not a good subject to bring up, so he decides to drop the new name conversation. After he leaves, Yu Rao tells her older sister that the emperor gave her a jade pendant. Chen Huan looks at this and tells us, and Yu Rao, this crucial piece of information. She thinks that Yu Rao probably looks too much like the emperor's first wife, Chun Yuan. Once again, the emperor is enamored by Yu Zhao not because of her and her personality, but because she looks like his first wife. 
the jade pendant that was given to Yu Zhao was by his first wife. Another really important point to highlight about this word one that the emperor tried to give to Yu Zhao is that it sounds exactly like the nickname for his first wife, which was Wan. Wan. The characters are different, uh, meaning the written characters, and they have different meanings, but the words sound the same. This is probably another way Jin Huan picked up on it because her title, remember when she first entered the palace, was Wan Pin, a different character from the Wan Wan that uh, Chun Yuan was nicknamed, and a different character from the Wan that the emperor is trying to give Yu Zhao, but still, they all sound the same. Again, I will just say, ew, ugh. Now, let's shift to the first of Jin Huan's enemies that implodes. Jin Huan and Jing Fei are playing a round of Chinese Go. Jing Fei languidly smiles and remarks the downfall of the Gua Erjia clan. Members of the family, including the father of the now demoted Qi Guiren, have been tried for corruption, bribery, and several other counts of uh, crimes, including, let's say, treason, I think. Jin Huan responds with a smirk. Oh yes, she says, the emperor has been busy this past month. He's rounded up the entire faction. The whole lot of them have been imprisoned, sentenced to exile, or executed. The father of Qi Guiren has even committed suicide in prison. In the very next scene, Rain is pouring from the sky, and a distraught woman is running in the palace, trying to plead to the empress. This woman is none other than the despicable Qi Guiren, or rather her full name, Gua Erjia Wen Yuan. She has been banished to the cold palace for her role in the accusation against Jin Huan. No longer wearing her usual luxurious clothes, she's dressed in well-worn, tattered, simple clothing, shoeless and running around in the palace, desperately trying to find someone to help her clan's plight with the guards at her heels. The empress's doors remain coldly shut, so she runs to the emperor's study. She is not allowed in the door, so she begs for an audience in the rain. It's a pitiful scene. Unbeknownst to her, Jin Huan is with the emperor, grinding ink for him as he declares his sentence. All men, or of-age men, are to be executed. Those under the age of 14 will be exiled, and women will all be sold as slaves. As for Guardia Wenyuan, she will be spared from death, but reduced to a commoner. The emperor motions for his eunuch, Su Peisheng, to deal with her outside. Jin Huan makes no remarks and just continues to grind. From now on, we will refer to the once Qi Guiren as Gua Erjia Wenyuan because that is her name and she is now demoted to a commoner. Unfortunately for Gua Erjia Wenyuan, this idiotic woman begins hurling insults to Jin Huan and she's begging for leniency for her family. She says, I'll become a ghost to haunt you, Jin Huan. Well, that doesn't go over too nicely with Su Peisheng, especially because the entire palace can hear. Su Peisheng, the godsend, the best person to have on your side, he orders the guards to uh, take care of Guardia Wenyuan. The woman could have been spared with her life if she had just kept her mouth shut. 
but the end of her story and her life is for her to be mercilessly beaten to death by the palace guards and then unceremoniously tossed into a mass grave. Su Peisheng even spits in her direction, which is probably one of the most derogatory things we've seen from this eunuch. Another example of why you don't piss off eunuchs or servants overall, especially Su Peisheng. The emperor tells Jin Huan that he'll restore her father's position at court, but she actually doesn't want it for him. He's too old. He'll be happy with a more secure, low-level job. She, Jin Huan, got her revenge, but cannot seem too vindictive. The empress and An Lingrong watched Gua Zhao Wen Yuan's body pass by them. The empress doesn't so much as blink. This woman was of no use to her anymore. A useless woman is the same as a dead woman. There is no difference. The empress doesn't care, nor does anybody else in the imperial harem. There was a comment uh, I saw, I think on YouTube, that I thought was hilarious, where one person said that, um, how is it possible that Guardia Wen Yuan ran all the way from the cold palace over to the emperor's palace. She must have been sprinting faster than Usain Bolt because none of the palace guards managed to stop her. The other huge blow to the empress's team is, of course, what happens to An Lingrong. Jin Huan's now expanded network, and by network I mean Xingren, comes to tell her that An Lingrong's father has been imprisoned for corruption. An Lingrong is distraught and has been kneeling outside of the emperor's palace in an effort to try to get him to reduce any sentence he's been thinking of placing on her father. Jin Huan is invited to dine with the emperor, and she walks right by the kneeling An Lingrong. The conversation between them is quite a highlight. On the surface, they're cordial, but you can see the sarcasm and underlying derision from Jin Huan's side. Jin Huan addresses An Lingrong as her sister and warns her of possible mice running around the palace. An Lingrong says, um, how is it possible for there to be mice outside the emperor's palace? Jin Huan says, you're right. Mice is only found in prisons. In front of the emperor, Jin Huan is nothing but complimentary and caring towards An Lingrong. She requests that the emperor not punish An Lingrong and such, and while again, on the surface, this sounds like she's being a kind sister. This is Jin Huan pushing the emperor to be more disgusted by both An Lingrong and her father's behavior. He comes out with Jin Huan to see the kneeling An Lingrong and orders her to return to the palace. If she stays any further, he will kill her father. An Lingrong has no choice but to leave. She begs the empress for help and the empress actually gives her a solution. Become pregnant. Once she's pregnant, the emperor will surely reduce her father's sentence. The empress even gives An Lingrong a prescription that will ensure a pregnancy for An Lingrong. An Lingrong is very skeptical because, as we know, she ingested medicine that has caused her to become infertile. But the Empress says that all she needs to do is become pregnant. Who cares if she actually gives birth? An Lingrong does not have any other option than to accept this. 
We kind of jumbled the order of our episode recap a little bit, but the rest of this episode, or at least what we're going to be talking about, is actually another victory for Jin Huan in that she is able to successfully marry her youngest sister to the one she loves rather than become another unfulfilled soul in the imperial harem. This day, Yu Yin, or formerly known as Huan Bi, comes to visit Jin Huan. As we saw in the last episode, Yu Yin is now married to the 17th prince, who is rather reluctant about that, but has no other choice, and Yu Yin has changed her name from being Huan Bi to Yu Yin, as now she is a second daughter of the Jin family. Now that Yu Yin is no longer a maid, but rather a powerful concubine of a prince, she visits with a changed attire. Her hair is different, and her outfit is that befitting of someone of her station. As the two are talking, Yu Yin and Jin Huan, their youngest sister Yu Zhao comes in, and Yu Yin teases in a sisterly way Yu Zhao for liking the 19th prince. Jin Huan is surprised to hear this, but it's clear that Yu Zhao and the 19th prince have feelings for each other as she blushes upon hearing this uh, information. Yu Yin and Jin Huan think that this is actually the best solution because otherwise the emperor would just order a marriage. But if Yu Zhao is matched to the emperor's brother, the emperor really can't do much to stop a wedding. Both Yu Yin and Jin Huan can clearly see the emperor's interests and they are trying to stop anything further from happening. With that plan in place, the other idea is to provide another distraction to the emperor. So, Yu Yin, now totally comfortable in her role as uh, manager of the 17th prince's household, decides to gift one of her maids to the emperor. This maid is Cai Pin, played by the beautiful Mao Xiaotong. Mao Xiaotong has been in several dramas now, and I'm pretty sure she got her start here. We actually also got uh, introduced to Cai Pin back in the time frame where uh, Jin Huan was sick as a nun and went to um, the 17th prince's residence. Cai Pin was there to take care of Jin Huan. I also just want to say, can we all get a collective sigh? The fate of women, particularly maids. Cai Pin in this instance is just being traded as a commodity, another gift. And sigh again for the emperor for being so predictable. He sees this beautiful woman and is happily ready to take her in. Yu Yin is managing her household, but I would like for everyone to remember that, again, she's not the only woman in the 17th prince's household. There is the other woman. Currently, Yu Yin dismisses the other woman, Meng Jinxian, as nothing more than just a sickly woman. But uh, we'll have to see and pay attention if that is actually the case. By now, it is clear that the 19th prince and Yu Rao are in love with each other, so the Jin sisters do their best to make this happen. In the Imperial Garden, Jin Huan is walking with the Emperor, and they happen upon the 19th prince and Yu Rao enjoying the scenery as well and being very cute. The Emperor is annoyed at this and says to Jin Huan, she must be able to tell how he feels about Yu Rao. Jin Huan rather calmly responds that the emperor should also be intelligent enough to see that Yu Rao has no interest. What good would this do? 
The idiom she uses is "xiang wang you meng, shen nu wu qing." This uh, kind of gets him thinking, and he walks away in a huff. He decides to spend time with An Lingrong instead. This at least gives An Lingrong the opportunity that she's been looking for to get pregnant. In the next scene, we see Yu Rao playing the gu qin, an instrument we've discussed previously on this show, by herself at her sister's residence. Who happens to walk in? It's the emperor. The two of them have a rather unguarded discussion. The emperor frankly shares that he likes Yu Rao, but Yu Rao asks why he likes her. His main reason is that she reminds him of his wife. Yu Rao does not think that she looks very much like the empress, but the emperor quickly corrects her by saying that the empress is not his wife. His wife already passed away. Yu Rao explains that her childhood dream has always been to be a beloved's wife, not a concubine, not the most important woman at his side, but his wife. Since the emperor already has a wife, he cannot fulfill her dream. She kneels and requests that the emperor helps fulfill her dream by decreeing her marriage to the nineteenth prince. The two of them love each other, and she will not care what her title is, as long as they are together. She will always be the nineteenth prince's wife in his heart, just like how the emperor's first wife is his wife in his heart, even though he has a, a wife or a state wife in the empress. The emperor doesn't say much after hearing her speech, and accepts the jade pendant she returns to him. The jade pendant was a gift by his beloved wife. After hearing Yu Rao's impassioned speech, he decides to formally gift the jade pendant to her and walks away. That night, the emperor is in a mood at his residence, and the godsend and most helpful person in the entire palace comes to see him. Who is this again? Of course, I'm talking about Su Peisheng, the emperor's head eunuch. The emperor asks Su Peisheng what should he do if he's interested in a woman who isn't interested back. The godsend Su Peisheng simply says that no matter who this woman is, she will be no better than his first wife. Any woman worthy enough to be with the emperor is simply helping his first wife Chun Yuan take care of him. What? Wonderful words. Those are the exact words that the emperor needed to hear, at least, because right after that, the emperor decides to plan the wedding of Yu Rao and the nineteenth prince. The episode ends with the wonderful wedding of Yu Rao and the nineteenth prince. This time, Yu Rao is to be his wife, and so this is a really big deal. If we take a step back, Chen Quan's family has also produced an incredibly powerful. Group of daughters. The eldest is the favored concubine of the emperor. The second daughter is a valued concubine of the seventeenth prince, and the third daughter is the wife of the nineteenth prince. That is quite impressive, especially since they're like all Han women marrying into Manchu families or the imperial family. We should say, you can't get any more powerful than that, can you? I'd also say that Yu Rao is probably the luckiest and happiest woman in the entire drama. She married the one she loves, and her love is reciprocated. No other woman has such fortune in their marriages, 
and this was done by the help of many people. She certainly has many people to thank for her luck. The last main thread in this episode is the deteriorating health of the Empress Dowager. She has been bedridden for some time now, but her time has come. As she is struggling and coughing up blood, cliche, I know, she tells her maid that she has to do something to protect her clan and the Empress. The Empress Dowager knows full well how manipulative and deadly the Empress is, and that she has killed and harmed so many people in the Imperial Harem. But because they are from the same clan, the Empress Dowager must do something to prevent her clan from losing power. She instructs her maid to keep a will. She writes for this purpose and to bring it out when necessary. The next episode will begin showing her last breath. Phew, this was an action-packed episode. People died, people got married, but it, it didn't seem to affect Jinhun as much. She's, she's getting what she wants, so I guess that's why a lot of the action kind of was just like swept under the rug. So let's, let's first start it off. Let's discuss the fate of the two women from the Empress's faction. First up, Guar Jia Wenyuan, the once haughty Qi Guiren. The highest up, highest rank she got was a Pin, which is the rank of an imperial concubine, which is fine, but uh, not too high. Let's go all the way back to early episodes when she first entered the palace. She bumped into the then-disgraced Huafei, and instead of showing any kindness towards the woman, belittled her. Huafei warned her that she might have the same fate as her, but the then-arrogant Qi Guirin dismissed this warning. Throughout her time in the series, Guar Jia Wenyuan played her part to perfection as the loyal pawn for the Empress. She performed her duties as required of her, and her only powers that she had was the backing of a powerful family. She was obedient, but not smart, which is why the Empress kept her around. I doubt Wenyuan ever knew about the truth about the musk necklace the Empress gifted her. She must have wondered why she never got pregnant, but she probably never thought to suspect the Empress. This woman showed us time and again why having money and status could get you far, but will not save you during hard times. She could barely keep up with An Ningrong, whom she despised. She was going to be no match for Jin Huan. Well, I guess Huafei showed us too in the beginning, and when I first met Wen Yuan, I thought maybe she would be a bit smarter than her. Nope, not at all. The funny thing is, when Wen Yuan accused Jin Huan of adultery only a few episodes ago, the oath she made was that her story was true or else her entire clan will cease to exist. She lost that battle and the oath came back to bite her. She and her clan died due to their misdeeds. The writing was probably on the wall long before Wen Yuan made her oath, but still, it came true. Now look at her. A faceless body in a mass grave. We won't spend too much time on An Lingrong today, the other part of the Empress's faction. Her story is far from over, but let's talk about her and Wen Yuan's actions this episode. They both came to plead for their family's case at great risk to themselves. 
Wen Yuan was a spoiled child, so it made sense based on her connection to her family. But An Lingrong has expressed dislike for her father several times throughout the series. Her mother was treated poorly in her family, and she herself was not favored by her father. Despite that, she still pleaded for her father. Throughout the series, we've seen these concubines, whether it's the Chu in this episode, to Shen Meizhuang, to Hua Fei, to, of course, Jin Huan, plead for their father and their family. It struck a chord with me that even though in this world, women are viewed little better than accessories and discarded as such, they still, nonetheless, are willing to try to beg the emperor to save their families. Wen Yuan could have survived, but she took the gamble to plead for an audience with the emperor and hurled insults at Jin Huan. Regardless of how you feel towards these women in the imperial harem and in this drama, I will commend them for their bravery and at least their loyalty to their families. One of Jin Huan's main motivations to return to the palace was to seek revenge against those who wronged her in the first place. This does include the Guarjia clan for what they did to her father and her own clan, and of course, An Lingrong for what she did to her father in prison, specifically letting plague-infested rats into his cell. Chen Huan got her wish with the former, and she's waiting patiently for the latter. I read comments that the only reason the emperor decided to act was to please Yu Zhao, which might be somewhat true, but I don't think... Jin Huan cared about that motivation. She just wanted the results. A short snippet about the fate of the Guarjia clan. The character of Wen Yuan and Ling Yin, the daughter and father, are fictional, and this entire decimation of this clan is fictionalized. The Guarjia clan is one of the eight largest and oldest Manchu clans, and is actually often named as the top Manchu clan. The power of influence of this clan continued throughout the Qing dynasty. I didn't research too deeply into this, but the emperor Kangxi and many of his sons had consorts from the Guarjia clan, but not entirely sure about Yongzheng. Again, historical records aren't that accurate. And the interesting piece is that the mother of the last emperor of China, Puyi, is actually also from the Guarjia clan. Many descendants synthesize their last name to Guan. Yeah, there. I didn't know this, but there are several pretty famous actors and actresses who are descended from this clan. Alrighty. Next, let's actually get to some history. First up is Yonghuai Fu by Zhang Hua. This is the poem or song that the emperor references when he tries to give a new name to Yu Rao at the very beginning of the episode. Zhang Hua was born in 232 AD and died 300 AD. He was a poet and politician during the Three Kingdoms era and primarily served in the court of Western Jin. He gained literary recognition with his Xiao Liao Fu, which is a collection of poems that are on the surface about birds or the Eurasian wren, but really an avenue for him to voice his own political commentary of the time. The piece Yong Huai Fu, or Rhapsody of Remembrance, uh, which is my translation, was written as an ode to his deceased wife. The two lines, Yang Chuo Yue Zhi Li Zi, Huai Wan Mian Zhi Rou Qing, which are quoted in the drama, 
have been used since its inception to praise the beauty and virtue of women. In this show, I am glad Yurao called the emperor out for this. He is never getting over his wife Chun Yuan, so stop trying to bed every single woman who looks even slightly like her. I think in her mind, she's like, ew, you're old, and also get over her or find somebody else. I'm not having this. Next up is Xiang Wang Yu Meng, Shen Nu Wu Xin. Jin Huan mentions this anecdote during her rather pointed discussion with the emperor about Yu Rao. The story comes from Shen Nu Fu, or Ode to the Goddess. Again, this is my translation. It was written by the poet Song Yu during the Warring States period, sometime during the 3rd century BC. Song Yu was a poet for the kingdom of Chu and most famous for his verses of Chu. The story is about the King Xiang of the state of Chu. He recounted the dream he had of the goddess and spoke of it to Song Yu, who wrote this poem. In this dream, the king pursued the goddess and wanted to ahem, mm, bed her. The majority of the poem, or Fu, actually describes the beauty of the goddess. At the end, though, the goddess departs, not giving the king what he wants, leaving the king distraught and saddened. This is a very famous poem and anecdote, and this story is often used to describe a man pining for a woman. Not in a healthy way, I would say. The poem also actually has many descriptions of the beauty of women that are still widely used today. So when Jin Huan spoke to the emperor about this, the emperor quite quickly got the point of her message. Yu Rao did not think of the emperor in that way. And the emperor, after listening to this anecdote, just walks away pretty mad about it. Finally, let's talk about the piece Yu Rao performs. She performs a piece on the Gu Qin, or the zither, called Qi Ao. Qi Ao, the text, comes from Shi Jing, or the Book of Songs, which we've mentioned before. It is one of the classic texts in Chinese culture. Well, the song of Qi Ao praises the ideal man. He is genteel, he is learned, and courteous. Bamboo is used often in this song to describe, I guess, the elegance of the man and is used often to describe the unbending nature of that perfect man. When the emperor walks in, he recognizes this piece and immediately asks Yu Rao if she loves another, leading to that whole rather frank conversation. So again, I'm pretty impressed that she picked Qi Ao as the piece to play and the emperor was able to pick up on her feelings towards the 19th prince. All right, that is it for our discussion of episode 66. Hope you learned something or at least enjoyed our discussion. Thank you all so much for listening and we will see you in the next episode.